This episode of How Much for a Sleeve is sponsored by Cold Pressed Cannabinoids. Go to Instagram at coldpressed.cbd or on the normal internet on cold-pressed.io and use Sleeve 10 at the checkout to get 10% off. Thank you much for sponsoring. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello and welcome to How Much for a Sleeve, a podcast about tattooing hosted by an actual tattooist. See. And an actual <laughs> knob, Mick Tigna. Why are you laughing at that? Because you said your name wrong again. Yeah, like last week where I accidentally said it was Dave Grohl. Yeah. Just cosplaying as the man. How you been? <laughs> you right? Yeah, I'm okay. How are you? Yes. Not too bad. We've got a bonus episode for everyone's ears. A bonus. I know. What a treat. I Something know. a bit different. Aren't, aren't we kind to them? We are very kind. So generous. Yeah. The reason we're so generous is because you're all saying such lovely things about it and being kind to us. So we thought we'd give you an extra, extra episode <laughs> going in there. So thanks for all your nice comments and your shares and your likes and your follows and all that stuff. It means the world to us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is all very nice. And it's lovely to have such a good distraction. I think I probably said it before and I've definitely said it to other people like it's just been amazing to have a focus. It's done so much for my general well-being I think and I yeah. think the same for you Mick isn't it? Totally totally it's um because I'm I'm a twat and put my self-worth on the creative things I do rather than the actual nice things that I do every day that do actually matter so having something like this to do has made me feel feel less shit about all the old shit that's going on out there in the real world <laughs> you know. That's it yeah that's it definitely so thank you for Thank you for suggesting it. It's all right. Thank you for being real good at tattooing and already having loads of people that want to care what you say and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know right. about that, but <laughs> thanks to the three people that have listened. Yeah. No, we're actually, <laughs> we're, we're, we're smashing the downloads, getting loads. That's exciting. No, it is exciting. So thank you to everyone who's listened. Um, yeah. Cheers. <laughs> so do you want to introduce our very special bonus episode guest? Yes, I'm very excited about this. And I know it's not directly tattoo related, but, you know, she's one of those people that just deserves as much publicity as she can get, really. She has the most incredible story and it is the amazing Pamela Daybar. So I'll tell you a bit about Pamela. She wrote, um, she's written six books, five books. She just told us this. Yeah. <laughs> she's written several books. She's written a lot of books. Yeah. The two that I'm the most interested in are one called I'm with the band. And then the next one is taking another piece of my heart. And basically she was a groupie in the sixties and seventies and has some of the most amazing stories. She has um, stories of encounters with Jim Morrison, uh, Jimmy Page, Mick Jagger. She's lifelong friends with Robert Plant. Um, she just, yeah, she grew up in in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s she was in a band called the GTOs she was nanny to Frank Zappa's kids um what else can I say and she's, she's just... and she's super funny I uh, she yeah. she made me laugh so many times through this I had to t like put my head away from the microphone because I was aware that I was just going into it <laughs> So, Whereas I was just laughing full on into the mic. So yeah. you probably hear me like, I was listening back to it. And I was like, oh, I've got to stop laughing. Honestly, no one wants to hear me fucking chuckling away. <laughs> yeah, she's she's super interesting and very, I thought she was just one of those effortlessly cool people that you could just talk to for, oh, yeah. you could talk to her your, your whole life. She'd never repeat a story and you'd never get bored. And that is. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I, I love how fun. she just, just casually drops in these names she just talk about Mick and you're like you mean Mick, Mick Jagger yeah I so say she went from <laughs> Mick Jagger to Mick Tickner pretty quickly <laughs> um yeah yeah she was great and I can't wait to meet her in person I can't wait to go back out there and do one of her rock tours 
um everyone should check out her book thoroughly recommend or if you haven't got the time to actually read check it out on audible it's an audio book and she narrates it so that's great super should we should we crack on with it then yes everyone should listen to this i'm excited for it so thank you pamela if you're listening this was it was so great so this is how much for a sleeve bonus episode one with pamela day bar how much for a sleeve this week we have the amazing pamela day bar best-selling author groupie member of the gto's just all-round amazing person in my opinion (laughs) so thank you so much for coming on sure (laughs) happy to to. wish I was there in person my god I miss London so much man yeah I saw that you do some workshops over here don't you for writing yeah yeah I have been doing it for you know at least every year for several years and uh, I do readings there you know I have I, I just love it it's a second home for me there one of my best friends lives there and I stay with her yeah see whereas I love LA so much so I try to come there as much as possible Uh so maybe we should do like a house swap (laughs) well actually my son lives here so I don't know how you'd feel about that (laughs) or how he'd feel about that yeah yeah exactly you were like who the hell is this loud English person (laughs) although yeah I live with my daughter and she's 15 so I don't know who's going to be worse off to be honest (laughs) <laughs> good point <laughs> <laughs> good point yeah mix met my daughter so you know lovely what are you on about <laughs> oh, my a, <laughs> oh well she's a 15 year old girl and every time anyone everyone goes oh how old is your daughter and I go 15 and they go oh <laughs> <laughs> you'll get through it yeah <laughs> at least yeah. one of us will and <laughs> um, so if we can just go back and do a, a bit of history about who you are so what was what was the first concert that you went to the Beatles wow that's a pretty impressive one yeah that's a good one 1964 the Hollywood Bowl fifth row on Paul's side wow. <laughs> on Paul's side <laughs> a life-changing thing definitely but there yeah. there he was there they were in front of me in person you know in those days, it was such a new experience, gigs like that. You know, it was so brand new. They played for 22 and a half minutes. <laughs> and, um, and it was over all of a sudden. But, you know, I had, I was there. I went to three of their shows. What What was different about them? Was it the, the, the volume of crowd or the anticipation? or or? Well, I was only 14. So it was, you know, it was a brand new thing to me. It was a brand new thing to everyone. Rock and roll, this kind of rock and roll. Um, you know, I was a little young. Dion was my huge hero when I was 12 and 13 and, and into 14. And I have very good taste because he writes his songs and he's still performing. He's amazing. And Bobby Rydell is okay and all the others, but Dion is very special. So I've been seeing him plays as much as I possibly can. I, <laughs> the pandemic screwed up my July, last year's July tickets to see him. But it, it just because, yeah, huge, the huge audiences, you know, the uh, fanatic sc- screaming pe- people just going nuts over these guys. And I was trying to maintain my cool because I just wanted Paul to see me as someone who was calm and collected and not some <laughs> raging fanatic. You were hoping that he'd see you in the crowd and go, I'm going to marry that young girl. Yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping and thinking <laughs> about and imagining. <laughs> There's one bit in your there's one bit in your book where you you're talking about turning 22 and you said I think it was 22 and you said you you didn't mind turning 22 you're quite happy to turn 22 because Paul McCartney had been 22. Oh God, I was such a fiend, you know. <laughs> I you know my fart list is notorious. Every time. <laughs> I had to, every time I farted, I had to write his name down on a list <laughs> where I might never meet him. And, you know, I still have that list, which should be in the Smithsonian here in America. But I don't know if they'd understand. <laughs> and there was another bit in, um, I don't know if it was your second book, where you'd met Paul eventually. Can you tell us about that? Well, it was 
a stranger introduced us. I was at a party, you know, Brian Ray is a good friend of ours. He plays in Paul's band and has for many years now. And about 10 years ago now, he invited us to a gig. And then uh, on the way home, he called, he called my ex-husband and I and, and invited us to a party with Paul. And it was like, oh my God, it could actually happen all these years later. And uh, I was just standing around looking at him, you know, from a distance of 12 feet or something. And this stranger came up and said, would you like to, would you like to meet Paul? And, uh, yeah, I was so scared though. I was actually scared to death to meet him. He was with Heather then. I'm not going to be rude about her, but um, <laughs> uh, so I had, I had brought my hardback if I'm with the band to give to him. And most music people have heard of me. So when, when he acted like he'd never heard of the book or heard of me, I just found that very strange because almost every musician I've met has read it or at least knows about me. But anyway, <laughs> Heather was there. So he was with those big eyes, you know, he was looking at the book. I handed it to him. He was looking through it and he looked up with those eyes and said, we haven't met before, have we? <laughs> he was hoping we hadn't, you see, because Heather was there. <laughs> and uh, he hoping said, unfortunately, you no. And, you know, because <laughs> I, I found out that he had been very flagrant back in those days, just wild with a lot of girls, right? And I was just too right. young at that point to know how to do it, to get into his room. <laughs> Or whatever so he was very kind you know but he acted like he'd never heard of me in his life which I find strange he was nice I gave him the book and I felt well Heather probably just threw it in the trash after, after I walked away <laughs> he also looked over and said see dear we've never met you know like, <laughs> he acts henpecked but I don't think that's the case Maybe Heather kept hold of it, read it, just to make sure that he was being truthful. Yeah, maybe. Oh. Very detailed notes. Yeah. <laughs> the hardback is actually worth a lot of money now. That was quite a gift for me to give to Paul. Oh, wow. Well, he has kept it then. Maybe. Maybe he's I keeping it as his pension. <laughs> I, think, I think he does all right, to be fair. He feels so about that. Yeah, he could probably lend me a fiver, couldn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was <laughs> the early days before the word groupie even existed. And I was just determined to meet the musicians who moved me that way. And, yeah. you know, I believe it was, in fact, I'm pretty sure it was a British journalist who first said the word groupie. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't know who it is, but I've been told by other people. And when I try to find out, it seems that the first use of that was in England in probably 67 or 8. You could have trademarked that. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the word? Because I know this, it seems to go through stages, like whether it's com not complimentary, but whether there's an issue with it or not in general opinion. People How do don't you feel? Understand. People who don't understand what it means to be a groupie uh, think it's a sleazy word it's all it means is you know having sex with anyone or all of them at once or you know and it just doesn't mean that at all to me and it didn't in the beginning it really just means someone hanging out with groups that's all that's all it meant not even just women it was all of us Rodney Bingenheimer and Kim Fowley and whoever the men were around hanging out with the bands for whatever reason photographers whatever whoever wanted to be hanging out with the bands and that's how it started. But then, of course, it became, you know, when when people realized that, you know, young girls, young women were sleeping with these people, it became notoriously bad word because we're so uptight sexually in this country. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I don't think I've ever heard or heard a man referred to as a groupie. Yeah. I'm saying when it started, that that was that was yeah. the photographers, the journalists. Well, it became pejorative. And it became a misunderstood word. And all these years, I've been trying to reclaim it in a positive way. But there were girls who came after me, you know, in the early, mid to late 60s, when I met Michael in 1974 and got married. I can't say I settled down because he was a musician. But, <laughs> um, you know, people just didn't 
they just, they were confused by the word. They thought it just meant, I mean, I still today am called a slut and a whore because of my, whatever I did 50 years ago. That's crazy. I know. And and I never had an orgy. I never had a three-way. I never did any of the stuff that people imagine groupies do. I was a romantic person. I still am. So I was a one-on-one person. (laughs) 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 And, you know, I wanted to be in love with them. And, uh, you know, I was young. You know, people forget how young we were. My God, kids. I was 17 when I met Jim Morrison. He was like 20. And we were hanging out, you know, and we made out and stuff, but we didn't go all the way because not everybody felt like you had to do that then. Yeah. Just just that casual name drop of Jim Morrison. Like, I was trying to work out how to get him into this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he just, we were so young, you know, both of us. When, when, when that occurred, when that's, you know, when we were hanging out, he was a local LA face. He was out on the town all the time. You, you could bump into him. You would actually sometimes step over him. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like, like he's perceived now. It's like that guy with the beads, you know, the shirtless guy with the beads. That was a very yeah. short time period in his life when he looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just imagine, like, I always think, was he as chaotic as he is on stage in normal life? Or was that just a complete persona? It depended on if he was drinking or not. Uh, he was a terrible drunk and he, he turned into another person like a lot of people do when he was drinking. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. And, and you know, made a complete ass of himself, but everybody loved it. You know, oh, <laughs> wow, what's he up to now? He jumped on stage with some, I think it was the 1910 Fruit Gum Company or one of those really square bands with bangs. And he just (laughs) climbed up on stage with them and took the microphone and and shoved it down his pants and laid down (laughs) on the floor with it. And, and, you know, Mario, the owner of the, you know, he said over the loudspeaker, Jim, you better get off the stage, (laughs) get off the stage. You know, it went so far that they not only turned out the sound, they turned out the lights and everything to get him off the stage. Wow. you know, and I, I was there. That I got, I got to witness that chaos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got it again, type thing. <laughs> so, well, so with, with people like, like from my generation, when there's people who are known, known to get wrecked and perform, it's almost a disappointment when they, when they do behave and perform. And also, like, even though they're great, and you're glad that you sort of you wish you were there when someone went off and fell asleep by the door yeah. <laughs> well, he, he performed off. with the doors he was always good yeah i i saw them through the years and he he never messed that up even though he was on stage late quite often <laughs> they would just like one time i was hanging out with him we were making out upstairs and we heard this the you know light my fire starting and it was like oh what are we still are they practicing or is, that, is this sound check? Is that, no, Jim, off you go, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it just kept playing, kept playing the intro over and over. Okay, I guess I'm on. And we were really stoned on this weird stuff that I used to snort. That I, <laughs> and uh, I walked on stage with him. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> and I was looking around at the audience, going, "Uh oh," <laughs> you know. Very early days before the groupie word even existed. Mad, mad. I remember once seeing Amy Winehouse play and she that was sort of in her peak of her drug addiction, drink and drug addiction. And it was like, it was, I mean, she was clearly a mess on stage. Yeah. But everyone yeah. still loved it, but people yeah. were sort of soaking it up like it was this car crash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was kind of like so that. Sad. It was kind of like that. Jim would lay down. No, I know. I never imagined someone just laying down on stage and he would lay down really close to the edge. So you could be this close to his face, you know? Wow. It it was pretty amazing time. I got to say. Is when I look back at like watch music videos and stuff from gigs and things in 60s and 70s I'm always amazed at how close people are so I was watching videos from Altamont which was for anybody listening that doesn't know it was a free concert that the Rolling Stones put on 
and um some was it like 500,000 people 69 I was there of course I was there with yeah I remember <laughs> reading about that and and the hell's angels were their security and it was something like four people died for bad news yeah someone was stabbed by the security but also four people were born I read <laughs> some of that is what you know legend I don't think it, I don't remember four people dying I don't remember people being born there either yeah, <laughs> I was there but in the video they were so close and there's all these hell's angels on the stage and Mick well, Jagger's literally like right there they hired the wrong people they thought they were going to be cool by hiring the hell's angels they were monsters I yeah. left early because of it you know it must have been awful for them yeah Just yeah it was uh -oh. like uh oh boo-boo made a boo-boo yeah <laughs> hiring these guys can you tell us about the first time you ever met Mick Jagger? I was seeing the, my favorite band of all time, the Flying Burrito Brothers, at a tiny little club called the Corral. Uh, late 68, I guess. Yeah. And he, he had met, well, Keith Richards and Graham Parsons were very, very close friends. And Graham's the lead singer of the Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah. And so all, this tiny little club, not even half full. I mean, it was just the burritos, unfortunately, while they were playing, didn't have all the, that many fans. It's, it's taken many years for people to understand Graham Parsons. But um, the Stones came in and I could, you could just feel the whole place like lift off like it was headed for the stars somewhere. And uh, uh, Mercy and I were the only two dancing. And during one of the little breaks, Mick came out onto the stage and said to Mercy, because they met in San Francisco earlier, uh, please introduce me to your pretty friend. Oh. So that's how I met him. People say, how did you meet him? You know, it was Jimmy Page came after me too. I just happened to be in the right place, right time, right look, right era, right everything. Yeah. And and hanging out with the Zappa family. Everybody wanted to meet him. And he was always open to meeting musicians. And it was just a great time to be me. <laughs> I bet. I remember reading, there was, I don't know if it was when it was, but you were at the motel that um, the Stones were staying in and Mick Jagger oh, opened the door. Before. Yeah, that's way before I actually met him. I was just a kid in high school at that time. And I was trying to meet the Stones. Yeah, was... <sighs> Captain Beefheart was a friend of mine. You know, he changed my life. I met him in high school. His cousin went to my high school. And he, you know, we went to the, the Stones. He, we saw them play with Don Van Vliet. I had to be very careful not to scream and yell because I was trying to be cool in front of him. <laughs> and so he took us to the hotel to meet the Stones later. We only actually met Bill and Charlie. We were hanging out with Bill and Charlie listening to jazz and blues. And I hadn't ever heard that kind of music and I was just trying to get into it. I would look around at what people were doing and they were like, yeah. So I imitated that. I mean, I was a kid in high school. So I thought, well, I'm gonna get my courage and I'm gonna go over and try to knock on Mick's door. <laughs> and I did, I knocked on his door finally and he opened the door stark naked and I screamed running into the night. Back to Bill or Charlie's room, I don't remember which one. So when you were better acquainted with Mick, did you tell him that story? And what did he no. say? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he remembered me. And he said the similar thing. At one point, I was looking through his window trying to see him, you know, the hotel. <laughs> there were little bungalows, so you could do that. And I was looking, looking, looking. All I could see was this white fabric. And I looked up, up, up. And it was, I had, I'd been staring into Mick's underwear. <laughs> and he, he said, go home, pretty little girl. So he thought I was pretty way back then even. So that's good. <laughs> and all I said, he called me pretty. Not that I was such an idiot staring into his underpants. <laughs> so when, when you were like going to these gigs and, and meeting these people, were tattoos on your radar? Did any of them have tattoos? 
No, no one seemed to have tattoos back then. Uh, those became, it was more mid 70s, mid 80s, especially in the 80s and 90s, people started getting tattoos. Yeah. So I didn't know way back then, I didn't know anyone with them. Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, wait, so my that- first boyfriend, Bobby Martini, had one. Oh, really? What has it? I saw him <laughs> recently. It, it, it's just a cross. He had someone tattoo it on uh, on him when he was in juvenile hall. <laughs> he was a bad boy, but he still <laughs> has that. So, yeah, that's the only one I knew. Wow. And he was from New York. He was a greaser from New York. <laughs> We're talking to someone on Sunday. Her name is um, Shanghai Kate, and um, she started tattooing in 1971 oh wow yeah I think I was in LA we'll have to ask her when we speak to her but a few of the people that we've chatted to and got lined up started around like a similar time and Mm. I just imagine them being these two completely separate worlds and I suppose each sort of subculture like hippies or the freaks or like tattooists I suppose all just so separate and if you were a tattooist in the 60s yeah completely different life to if you're a groupie yeah. in the 60s well, it was biker bikers and, and people who'd been in jail basically <laughs> had tattoos at that point um, <laughs> one of a good a good friend of mine we used to call beetle bob later became buffalo bob and he had a tattoo parlor on hollywood boulevard probably 1971 to around there and he he was a very famous tattoo artist here for a long time i met him with that veto group I danced with the Vito wild guy, older man who had a group of crazy people dancing half naked everywhere. And that, that's, <laughs> how I, that's how I met Bob. And he, <clears throat> but I didn't really want a tattoo. When my ex-husband and I broke up, I got a tiny little heart. Let me see if you can see it here. A little Valentine. Oh. When we broke up, we, I, I, I wanted something to... I don't know, memorialize it because we were such good friends. We, you know, we still loved each other and all that stuff, but it was time to break up. We got together very young. So that was my first one. That's nice that that's that's still a heart. It's not a broken heart. Yeah. 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 yeah, The cross through it. We're we're really close friends. We all put our son first. Um, And uh, then I started started getting a few. I think I have five or six. Where did you get your first one done? Uh, at a place on Sunset Strip, right across from the Hyatt House. Um, God, what was his name? His name is last name is Mark Mahoney. Mark oh, yeah. Mahoney has done. You got few. it done by Mark Mahoney. Uh huh. Your first yeah, wow. tattoo by Mark <laughs> Mahoney. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. He's a he's like a really huge name he's in tattooing. A, he's a Mick Jagger of tattooing, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. He's got the most incredible eyes. He also, well, he did the most incredible voice as well. Yeah. Yeah. He could put me to sleep. It's amazing. Here's here's the second one he did. It's Elvis. It's Elvis's signature. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Amazing. So Elvis signature just right in the middle of your back there. And what's next to it on the left? Uh, This was my second tattoo that will be done. I'm a very spiritual person. Over here is uh, my first spiritual master. <laughs> uh, and this was done by, I think, someone even more famous than, can you see Jesus? I think it's obscured by your chair, yeah. Oh, okay. We can see uh, his... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah that's, that's oh, cool. wow. That guy, can't remember his name. And here's my last, most recent one is James Dean. Can you see him? Oh, wow. James Dean's so nice. and birth and death dates. Um, his name, he's in Orange County. He's very famous. He does a lot of Jesus portraits. Uh, he's more famous than Mark Mahoney. I wow. hope his name comes to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'll have to send me a message if you yes. remember. I, well, this fr- a friend of mine, James Enfeld, incredible singer with many tattoos by this guy uh took me there and it, you know he's one of these people it's way out in orange county in the middle of the night we started at 2 a.m and it was finished at, at 6 a.m <laughs> I, I love that 
So I always think what, what builds up to the, the a tattoo commencing at 2am. Yeah. It's well, not... if you're Bob Tyrell, then it's just that you take four hours to set up. He, <laughs> he normally commences his tattoos about the same time because he's nocturnal and he's so chilled. He'd just be like setting up his pot, setting up his machine. Yeah. yeah. Well, this then... guy runs late because he's such a perfectionist. So he was still working on, I think my appointment was 11pm. Wow. <laughs> and we got started at 2am, took four hours. Boy, did that hurt. The shading on the cheeks oh my god yeah. I bet yeah was that more painful than the one on your chest oh yeah that didn't I didn't feel that at all yeah well, I'm thinking now I <clears throat> I'm obsessed with Walt Whitman the poet mm -hmm. the great American poet and Walt Disney I call them my Walter egos and I was thinking <laughs> I, I would get both of their signatures on me somewhere those are probably going to be my next ones Oh, maybe on either, either arm, maybe. Okay. Oh, well, you should um, you should go. Well, Mark Mahoney's shop, Shamrock, which is opposite the Rainbow. We're yep. chatting to Freddie Negretti, who also co-owns it, I believe, and he's been tattooing for like forty four years, mm -hmm. and he does mm -hmm. great fine line stuff. So that would be a good place to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I might go to Mark himself, right? Well, yeah, there is that option as well. <laughs> he's, he's, he's my old friend. Oh, uh, he did I, some of Michael's too. Michael's tattoo. He did some of his. Oh wow! I remember being. I will be done now. That happened. I, you know, I've had a long spiritual life, and I was having this time of surrender where I would just like collapse on the floor and cry and everything. And I just wanted something to, I wanted that on my person. I will be done, which means you give it all up, you know? So that's why I got that one. And I've been an Elvis fanatic my entire life, so I had to have that. And the song Treat Me Nice was my first single when I was nine. So that's why I had that one. Oh, and did you ever meet Elvis? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I went with Led Zeppelin to see him play, and I sat in between Jimmy and Robert. And at the end, and the end of the night, Red West came up and said, "Would you like to meet Elvis to Jimmy?" And he said, "Oh, no, thank you." <laughs> and Robert and I looked at each other like, "Is he insane?" But of course, <laughs> he ruled the roost, and we went home without meeting Elvis. Wow. Yeah. But I, I saw I, him I, a couple times and. And I go to Graceland, you know, I'm, you know, when I love someone, it's eternal. <laughs> I Graceland is on my list of places that I absolutely must, must go to. I'm desperate to go. It's a time capsule. Besides being Elvis's home, it's a total time capsule from 1974 when he had it redecorated. And it is just a trip, wow. you know, just everything about it. It's so special you have to get the vip so you can stay there all day good i bet i'd have house envy so like my house i collect lots of vintage stuff and all my furniture is 60s or 70s i just uh -huh. love, I mine, love all that yeah mine is 40s and 50s i love bamboo Rattania. i love bamboo yeah. i have so much bamboo stuff i have to like I've, I've sort of gone from bamboo into teak um oh, okay but i still have a lot of bamboo stuff i love it Mm hmm that's why I was like oh I like your house I can see stuff behind you <laughs> yeah, lots of rattan see I've got this rattan well, oh yeah there. oh look at that so nice yeah <laughs> so nice and <laughs> um, so earlier you said that it's rare for like people in the music business not to know who you were and it's funny you said that because we did an interview with um Joe Black couple of weeks ago now and her dad was a rock music journalist from I don't know probably for the last 40 or 50 years huge career and he actually has the biggest um archive of memorabilia in mm. I think it's like in the world it's all in his basement wow yeah and he's yeah he's uh, Joe said he journaled everything so he would make these little comments um because none of it was unless it went into the the trade press none of this was written down that such and such joined someone else on stage that evening 
Mm-hmm. Joe's dad would have that scribbled down, and it would it's just in this opus of wow, very cool. Yeah, uh, and I, I said, I think I said at the time that, that a few people, if you're lucky in your whole life, you you might have a few museum exhibits in about your person. That man has a full museum. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um. She said, I was talking to her today and I said, oh my God, we're talking to Pamela Day Bar tonight. And she said, oh, I wonder if my, how funny it would be if she'd met my dad or if my, <laughs> you know, my dad, but she asked him and he said, oh, sadly, I've never met the infamous Pamela Day Bar. <laughs> oh, that's nice. But he said, he said, is it Pamela that's on the front of the Flying Burrito Brothers LP? Um, no, those were just models. It was um, it was so dumb that they did not have Mercy and I pose with them instead of those models, you know. <laughs> anyway. So Mercy was another member of the GTOs. Can you yes. tell us a bit about about your band? Uh we were a bunch of dancers, um, you know, dancing with bands, Three Dog Night, Love, you know, our, our local bands. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look up this. I, I need to tell you this guy's name. He's going to be incredibly impressed. <laughs> <laughs> by, okay. the, by the guy who did my Jesus. Okay. Uh, um, anyway, and, and so we started dancing with the mothers because one of the girls um, worked as his governess, Miss Christine. And... We, we slowly became very good friends with with Frank and Gail by just hanging out at the at their house and um, just dancing around. I mean, it, it was a mad time. It was a log cabin. The doors were all op- always open. And uh, Frank had that time just got his own record label. And um, he said, why don't you guys, you know, you want to do a record? So that's what happened. We we wrote our lives out and in, in you know in in song, and he recorded us, and <laughs> we became um, pretty notorious girls. So you know, everyone wanted to meet us. It's not like we had to go out and look for people. They 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 came to town and looked for us. Yeah, it was really fun. So your album was called um, Permanent Damage. Where did that name come from? Mercy thought it up. You know, Mercy passed this past year. And it's really yeah, sad. So sad. She had quite an eventful life, didn't she? Colourful. Oh, life. yeah. Her book's coming out in June. And I'm oh, really wow. glad she she got to, you know, complete that. She did yeah. it while she was pretty ill. And, you know yeah it's a a miracle that she actually she didn't write it she she told it was as told to our friend Lindsay Parker who's a really good writer too well I look forward to yeah she was homeless for years she was a crack addict she was I mean you can't even imagine everything she went through and she lived to to be you know a a surprising age for her lifestyle (laughs) (laughs) I watched something where um, she was being interviewed and she still looked so amazing, like still real heavy black eye makeup. Oh, her hair, she she always had flowers in her hair. Yeah, always, always dolled herself up. Always such a unique. Well, see, the GTOs, we had our very individual styles. And that was right when, well, I was wearing vintage clothes in high school. I got into velvets and all that, you know, twenties and thirties clothes is what I liked back then. And she liked to look like a gypsy girl and we all had our own look. So we're, we're actually considered style icons now, which is pretty fabulous. That's great. We had no stylist like people do do today, you know, (laughs) you know, style reflects your inner being, you know, that's all. It just shows people who you are, if you know how to do it yeah definitely um one of my friends Mark he's a huge Zappa fan and a huge GTOs fan and I when I told him that we're chatting to you um 
I think I thought he was probably actually going to cry. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, feel free to give me some, give me a question you'd like me to ask. And okay. He, his, his question was, with the you know, like uprising of girl power over the last few decades with bands like the Spice Girls, do you think it's time for the GTO's permanent damage to be reissued? Well, uh, Ahmed Zappa plans on doing that very thing. There have wow. been, been some bootlegs here and there, but he's doing, yeah, we're going to have a whole package, of a coffee table book and all that stuff. Yeah, wow. he's going to release it exactly as it was. And, you know, same packaging and everything. Awesome. So it was his album that I took a picture of and sent to you the other day. We were listening oh. to him. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've been trying album. to get my... It's amazing. I've been trying to get my hands on it, but they're so rare. I know they're so rare. They're about two hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars. Yeah. Now, you know, especially if the book, if you get the booklet, a friend of mine got me one sealed for five hundred one time. So wow. that's another. So it'll be great to have it out again. And it, it, upon listening to me, it's just I, I go back to the studio and I'm sitting there with Jeff Beck. Graham Parsons came with Chris Hillman and asked if they could be on the record. And Frank said, no. And Mercy <laughs> and I were so upset. <laughs> but he took us into a little room and played piano for us and sang his new songs. And so, oh my God. So, so many good things happened while we were recording. But so I go there when I hear it. But I think it actually stands up because it's, it was a, it's a little moment in time. Frank was always wanting to capture moments in time. And I think that's, you know, these crazy girls in Laurel Canyon, you know, in 1968, that's was captured. <laughs> <laughs> were you aware, like at that time that you were living in this iconic era? Yes, I totally knew it. And I knew I'd write about it one day and share it because it was high, high level of creativity that I was surrounded by and immersed in this huge wave it, it's it's it was like being in probably in florence you know during the the art renaissance there you know it was wow. it was probably felt like that because it's never come again it's never come again that level of you know there were nights where you i who am i going to see play tonight buffalo springfield the doors love the birds or maybe I should go see, you know, the Jeff Beck group. I mean, you had to choose. There was just so much, there was so much going on, so much greatness everywhere you went, you know, it was, it, it, and it, there were, it was a small pocket of people who realized that and who, you know, it was important to be there. So I was one of those people. <laughs> and luckily I kept diaries and was able to save it like Frank did. I, I'm lucky enough to have been to the whiskey. And ah. <laughs> it's, it's when you walk through those doors, it's just so atmospheric to think of how many people have been there and started off their careers there. And just, it's an amazing place. And anybody going to LA, 100% recommends that they take a trip there. I do rock tours where I take a big van around and take people to all those places and read out of my books and tell the stories and all that. There are so many incredible, that was my home away from home. And I mean, I, I saw the, like the who would play the forum and then the next night play the whiskey. Two hundred. <laughs> wow. So I saw all them. I saw Led Zeppelin there. I saw Jimi Hendrix there. I saw The Who. I saw the Kinks. I saw The Doors many times. I, you know, it's it's an amazing place. You know, they tried to tear it down about three or four years ago, and there was oh. such a huge uproar because it is such an important spot. So oh I think God. it'll be there. And now it's historical. Yeah, I and historical. I think that's happening everywhere at the moment, especially in London. There's there's loads of these old venues mm. that such a crime just they're just gone and all that history's gone and what's in their place a couple of a couple of high-rise flats and a and yeah no it all looks the same nothing, yeah and there's nothing there to commemorate it either it's just really sad i was in london two years ago and it, it looked like anywhere else in a lot of places was 
what these glass monstrosities and they look like jails going up everywhere it's heartbreaking <laughs> yeah and there's, there's there's loads of loads of stuff with covid as well there's the the um crowbar in soho which i love and they've, they've yeah, i don't know if you've ever been there but they've moved they've moved to oh well, I, I used to go to some what was the place that everybody went to in like 70, 71 and two? They the had trick the or the starlight. Mm, what was the first one you said? The troubadour. No, no, I'm talking about in London. Oh, sorry. Oh. Because I was there in 70, 71, living with a, a guy named Marty who ran Granny Takes a Trip, an incredible clothing store on the on the the west end no what was it called the east end no the world's end oh <laughs> the world's end it was yeah in Hamden. In Hamden, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's no, it was in chelsea it oh, was in right, chelsea. chelsea right yeah oh, there's a there's a there's a famous rock bar called the world's end in camden but that's, oh, okay. that's under threat as well and there's loads of these places oh. called the black heart in camden which has just set up a, a gofundme and when I lived in London, you know, watching, you know, two or three times a month, we were there watching someone we'd never heard of, and it's it's that that starting level, and it's amazing. It's just it's just so sad, and they're all replaced by these big. They'll be replaced uh-huh. rather by these big, big bars, yeah. soulless things with the weather spoons. Yeah, it's really and, awful. Blokes in jeans and it's shoes awful. buying Peronis and yeah, <laughs> sad. yeah, yeah. And having photos taken of them that then turn into memes. Yeah, man. And... The hard rock went down here. No, the, uh, oh God, what was it called? The, the Sai Baba, you know, with Sai Baba as the centerpiece. That big club, oh, it was just closed too, about a year and a half ago, where they built another hotel on the Strip. The Strip, no one would even recognize it, you know. It's yeah. Just, yeah. House yeah. of Blues, I'm thinking of. House of Blues. What was the... What was the club that they closed in the sixties? And there was this huge, um, huge uh, protest. Everyone was sitting down on the strip. Pandora's oh, box. Pandora's box. Yeah, that was yeah. early. That was like sixty six. That was a, a yeah. That was the riots on the Sunset Strip, which of course I was there. And you know, for what it's worth, was written about that. I was. Stop. Hey, what's that sound? <laughs> oh. it was about that protest it was great oh. that protest <laughs> <laughs> power to the people and all that <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so i know this is a bit of a controversial question and i i've got a there's a reason for asking it but so almost famous the character penny lane is supposedly based on you and i know they didn't they didn't credit you didn't receive any uh anything in return for them using you as their character but if and hopefully when your book is made into a movie who would you want to play you (laughs) well right now it's being shopped as a series and we've been trying to get it as a series because there's so much more time you have in a series to tell all the stories um and, you know, right now, it's probably going to be an unknown, but um, I think Elle Fanning could do it really well. I wow. think it would be really fun. I think she could do it. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful young actresses, but they have to be young because we want to start early. You know, my Beatle obsession and all the way through. In fact, um, anyway, I can't talk about it yet because it's not hasn't happened, but it's looking sure. good. Wow. <laughs> That would be amazing. And we'll be like, oh, yeah, we, we had a Pamela DeBar on our podcast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the AIDS epidemic had a huge, suddenly going serious, but the AIDS epidemic had a huge impact on the tattoo world. Did mm. you feel, I don't know what your sort of situation was at this at the time that it all came out, but was there an impact on the music world or the like the groupies were you aware of that i was married i was married and had a young boy and certainly affected everyone because so many creative people were lost to that and i 
I've always had a million gay boyfriends too. So I lost <laughs> friends. We all lost friends. So it was a really terrible time. And, and you know, it was misunderstood for so long that it, it just put such a damp damper on the gay movement. That was the worst part of it, I, I think, because thank yeah. God it's hurling back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been incredibly left wing. In case you didn't know that about me. (laughs) (laughs) So there is there are so many things that like we live in such a great time. So many things are changing, so many attitudes are being called out and so on. And a, a big part of the world now is the Me Too movement. Do you think that there are musicians sort of quaking in their boots, worried about things coming out in the same way that it has done in the movie business? Or what attitude's just completely different? Was sexual assault not really existent? It happened too long ago. You're probably speaking of Jimmy Page and David Bowie and Laurie Maddox and all that. First of all, it was a different time frame. Things were accepted that are not accepted now and haven't been accepted for quite some time. And the girls like Sable and Laurie and Queenie and all those girls, they wanted to be where they put themselves there. It's not like anyone chased after them they were available (laughs) they put themselves right in front of these people and you know i i don't i can't have an opinion on it because it's so controversial i just was there and saw it all happen and it was very annoying to me because (laughs) you know i was a grown woman and um i was being kind of shunted aside by these much 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 younger girls who, you know, were hanging out with my guys. And, uh, you know, so it was annoying. But now Lori and I are really close friends. Sable's gone. But Lori and I, we laugh our heads off about it all now. Because she has no regrets whatsoever. You know, (laughs) she she loves her history. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, there was a bit of a a craze of baby groupies and people like Lori Maddox and Sable Star started out at like age 14 that sort of age which to, th- to think back on it's wild but I guess as you've it said it was just yeah you know unless you were there I mean it was a short yeah. period of time when when those kinds of things were going on and the bands Zeppelin for instance had been on the road over and over and many you know they're always looking for something new and different you yeah. know to keep them from being bored up out there and uh these these girls were just nubile young things you know i mean you know come on loretta lynn got married at 13 it's not that far out i mean it's to me it's just not because i lived through it now of course it's a very different time so that's why i really i I can't comment too much on it because i've gotten shit for it for sticking up for Lori. Oh, in general, everything seems so much safer the way you sort of talk about things like you talk about hitchhiking all over the country, whereas now we're like, don't don't speak to strangers. Was it just a different, was it just safer or were you just not aware of the risks? There was only a couple of times that all my years of hitchhiking, were, well, there was like three times where I was in trouble and, you know, luckily I got out of it. Um, but you wouldn't dream of it now. It's just... No. Know there were very there was there even a serial killer back then? I don't think they even existed. Things have gotten harder, and of course the media much stronger and points it all out to us. Um, but no, I would not recommend people always say, if you had a daughter, would you let her be a groupie? You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they're gonna do my son did what he wants to do. People are gonna do what they want to do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you have like the best time <laughs> I had the best time ever and so yeah. did Lori so yeah. did Lori yeah. you see Jimmy Page was even though she's been engaged to the same guy now for a long long time he was like the other complete love of her life yeah. you know that went on for a long time it wasn't like you know he took her in a room for a night you know they were they had they were an item yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so what else do you do now? I know you've written a book about how to write a memoir. What else I have, have you five got? books out. I have five books. 
Um, and I'm writing my sixth and seventh right now. One is about the wife of a very famous star that I can't talk about right now um, that I'm working on quite heavily. I'm writing my spiritual memoir and uh, I teach writing workshops. I was traveling all over the place, but now of course, for the past year, I haven't been able to do that. So I'm doing my writing workshops on Zoom. If anybody's interested, just contact me on Facebook or Instagram. And um, what's your what's your your handle on Instagram? If anyone wants it, it's just my name. Cool. The Pamela Debar is what it says. I don't know how to get the freaking blue check mark. Oh, I can take you through oh. it after. I don't have it, oh. but I know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm the Pamela Debar there. <laughs> Pamela Debar on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, okay. there are ways to reach me. My my website is going undergoing a big change right now. And that's Pamela Debar official and that will be up pretty soon. Awesome. But I do these rock tours. I do so much, you know. I will you so be resuming those when life goes back to normal? Oh yeah, people were loving it. I fill a van with 12 people. It's $125 for the day. They're out there with me all day and I take them to where the cabin was, where Jim Morrison lived, where, you know, whiskey all the places i hung out they, sign they, me up they pile out of the van and i read from the book and ask <laughs> questions as long as they don't ask about the size of someone's member which i never answered oh, just uh just gonna cross off that. i never <laughs> i never answered and that. and that one and that, that that's one. nobody's business yeah <laughs> oh but unless you're cynthia plastercaster who happens oh, yeah. to make plasticasts of their very, members very friends Cynthia. <laughs> um, once when I was in LA I was walking down somewhere like Fountain and um, this one of these like celebrities bought in buses went past and they went cat cat Fonte cat and then I oh. turned around they were like oh sorry. <laughs> People always want to see a celebrity here in and but there are places you can see him. If you wander around Beverly Hills you're, you're probably going to bump into somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal or something. Oh, the rainbow pretty guaranteed yeah, i met ron yes. jeremy in there oh you did oh god yeah yeah we were chatting there all the time we were chatting and i said so oh do you mind if we can we have a picture and he was like if i can have a kiss and i was like yeah <laughs> oh, wow it was just a little peg i think it was fair a fair trade for a yeah, photo yeah, with us he just, literally left walking down the street with his arm around like a blonde on each side and two oh. to either side. Wow. What year was that? Like 2016 or 2017, oh, I think. Wow. So he's still around, huh? Doing, doing his thing. Yep. <laughs> doing, doing his thing. thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so many good stories to be had in LA on the street. Yep. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Have you enjoyed it though? I can't say I've enjoyed it, no, because I'm a very social person mm. and I cannot be social. Although I've got both my vaccinations now, but now everybody has to catch up with me because, yeah. you know, it's still dangerous. You have to wear your masks and I'll probably wear them all year. I'm probably going to have to wear them all year, but yeah, it's just been a very oddball time because I have parties in my backyard, I have gigs all the time, people playing out there, hundreds of people coming. And it's just been so quiet in that way. And I can't say I've got a ton of work done because it's such an oddball time. I mean, I've been working steadily, but I think I'm always pretty- coming down on myself for not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, I think that's 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 sort of like a bit of a theme about what we've had with with most of our guests is that everyone yeah. had this. I'm going to do all of this stuff. And then you feel bad that you haven't done it. The but, the guilt, that, yeah. but the fact that you've got through this and, you know, you're all right. And you, yeah, people you, you love are safe. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much all you can, all you can hope for. And, you know, thank fuck that that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's a malaise mm. that's come over people. I've noticed so many of my friends. Yeah. You're right about that. Definitely. And now it, we thought it was nationwide, but now we know it's worldwide. Yes, yes, definitely. Before we finished, what tattoos have you got planned? Have you got any more? Well, you've actually, you've gone through the one that you want from Mark Mahoney. Any more? No, I really just want a couple more 
uh, well, I might do Dion and Bob Dylan, but Dylan is hates that. And he's, oh, really? he's my ultimate hero and he doesn't like to be anyone's hero, but <laughs> I would love to get his signature on me and, and the, the two Waltz and maybe Dion who has a fantastic signature. <laughs> yeah, he's got to look good. I love my icons. I'm a yeah. groupie in art and that's life. <laughs> It, it's just been such an honor to chat to you I just thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us it's I've had so many questions that I've wanted to ask you ever since I first read your books and um to be able to do it like this has just been amazing so thank you so much well, sure. thank you guys I really enjoyed it and I hope to meet you when I come to England next which will probably be in the fall oh great yeah, yeah. In, a, in a class and everything so Awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah, okay. I will hold you to that. Bye. Thank, yeah. you so Thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.